0: This season of Black and White is brought to you by Flatiron Wealth Management. Led by my good friend Andrew Shepard, Flatiron Wealth Management is an independent wealth management firm that is committed to building generational wealth for their clients. By constantly optimizing and diversifying its investment strategies, Flatiron helps you influence the economic factors that you can and to prepare for the ones you can't. Visit flatironwealth.com for more information. Link in the podcast description. Hey everyone, if you've listened to Season 1 of Black and White, you know that my amazing guests and I have often discussed the wealth gap issue that persists between the BIPOC and non-BIPOC communities. Disadvantage of opportunity caused in part by wealth inequalities is something I know firsthand as a black man who started out in life from challenging circumstances. More than 10 years ago, I turned to Andrew Shepard and his team at Flatiron Wealth Management to help me set a course for a better financial future for my family, by setting tangible financial goals and putting place informed investment strategies. At that time, Andrew and his team reviewed my needs, which included long-term planning for the eventual retirement I envisioned, and making sure we had a safety net in place in case things went wrong along the way. Most importantly, Andrew heard me when I told him that priority number one was to secure a better future for my kids, one which would see them have as many opportunities as possible. Through a collaborative process, the Flatiron team recommended a strategy for my kids, which included a savings plan, partly anchored in a governmental educational savings program, combined with a participatory insurance product that would allow my kids to have millions of dollars of life insurance coverage paid for in 20 years at the lowest cost possible. Surprising to me, this plan would also enable my kids to borrow from the insurance policy to pay for college, to put a down payment on a house, or to invest in a business. Key foundational pillars to building generational wealth. It's truly been an amazing 10 years with Flatiron. I've seen the direct benefit of their financial management services. Positive forward momentum realized year after year. If you're in need of solid financial management advisory services, give Andrew and his team at Flatiron a call. You'll be happy you did. Welcome back to Black and White, a rallying place where we come together to learn and hold everyone gently to account, a podcast for the ally in all of us. I'm your host, Stephen Dorsey. Black and White is recorded in Toronto, Canada, on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and now home to many diverse nations, Inuit, Métis peoples. My guest today is my good friend, Julian Taylor who over the past two decades has been one of Canada's premier singer-songwriters. His critically acclaimed 2020 album, The Ridge, garnered a myriad of awards and was nominated for multiple Junos, including a nomination for Best Contemporary Folk Album of the Year and Indigenous Artist or Group of the Year. It's hard to pin down Julian and his music transcends all genres from contemporary folk and country, Americana, R&B, pop and more. 2022 has already been an amazing year for Jillian, winning Best Male Artist in the International Acoustic Music Awards and scoring five Native American Music Award nominations. In June 2022, Jillian released the first song from his upcoming album, Beyond the Reservoir, titled Seeds, which is already getting a lot of attention from music fans near and far. We'll talk about his music career, his new album set to launch this fall, and also about our shared experience as biracial men growing up and living in a white world. Welcome to Black and White, Julian Taylor, and congrats on all your recent success.
1: Thank you, Stephen Dorsey. Nice to have a chance to sit down and chat with you.
0: Yeah, look at that. We made it. Yeah,
1: so far, so good.
0: Exactly, exactly. When I said we made it, I mean in many ways, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're so busy. Congrats, man. I'm so happy for you.
1: Thanks, man. You too.
0: There's so much I want to discuss with you. And of course, you know, I want to get to some of the amazing music that is a big part of your life. So let's get to it. As I mentioned in in the intro, uh, one thing that we have in common is our mixed race background. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm black and white, but you are a black man of West Indian background. And on the other side of your heritage, you come with uh, deep indigenous roots from the Mohawk First Nation. Yeah. I saw a quote saying... One of the things that hurts me the most is that some of the discrimination I face happens to come from my own. I think I know what you mean by that. Can you expand on what that means to you?
1: Sure. I mean, growing up when you are of mixed heritage, it's really difficult to find a place where you actually fit in because the lines are drawn in such a weird way these days. I mean, they're, they're, it's coming unraveled a little bit as we go along, um, but uh, certainly 40 years ago, he, the black community really was looking for black people and the indigenous community looking to indigenous people. Um, it's funny that love sort of conquers all. And when you find somebody that you really care about, that you you, you want to be with, that, that you create something that's new, that's brand new. And I think that what happens is mixed heritage people are a new breed in a way. So we have the um, unique ability of universi- universal universal. Uh, connection to um, different places and, and people and things. And I think that there, in, in lies that sometimes there's a bit of jealousy. Interesting. Certainly there is a bit of people misunderstand. Uh, and I think that that comes from the center of me trying to understand myself as well. I feel like if I'm misunderstood, I'm sometimes misunderstanding myself and not representing myself properly so that others can understand me. For me,
0: grew up in a white world with white parents and white neighborhoods, right?
1: So did I, yeah. yeah.
0: As I started embracing my blackness, I realized I wasn't really black. Sure. <laughs> you know, and people were kind of like, well, you're not really black. And some people said, well, you're not really white. Right. So,
1: yeah, I got that. It, it, my mom used to say, "Well, oh, we weren't, you know, black enough for the black kids and red enough for the red kids. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we're in between, which is kind of nice. I think uh, as, as I get older, it's something that I've embraced. I embrace it more. Because I think we're so unique.
0: Well, it's a really good point. And another thing that you said, which speaks to kind of the similar point, is when you were talking about all the amazing nominations you got from the Indigenous community and and, uh, the music industry, Mm -hmm. you were a little bit anxious of even accepting the nominations. Does that play into, you know, am I taking space that's fully Indigenous? I I don't know. I guess I'm asking you, like, where did that come from?
1: That anxiety comes from that point that you made is, am I taking up space for someone who has a different lived experience within the community? The reality is I think that, I guess I'm lucky in this way, is when I say that I'm Indigenous, these words fly around so easily. I'm Indigenous from both sides of my family. That's the truth. I'm built from the roots of Black culture and Indigenous culture, which are both Indigenous cultures. Part of my family is First Nations and part of them is not. And I have to toe the line between both. Which is a very tricky thing it's like you're on one of a a teeter-totter trying to make sure that everybody's okay with what you're doing when at the end of the day you have to be okay with what you're doing
0: one of your heritage is West Indian from the Caribbean Mm -hmm. and then the other side is Mohawk and I think from uh, from Quebec if I'm not that's where your roots are so tell us about those two sides of your families some of the people that were impactful in terms of giving you an understanding of your roots and culture
1: Oh, sure. Um, well, my dad's family's from the West Indies, and, and it's funny because they're from all over the West Indies. My grandfather, he was, who's still alive, he'll be 101 this year, which is kind of crazy. Amazing. He's from a tiny island called Nevis. Nevis is very close to St. Kitts. Uh, he moved from Nevis to go to Bible school and met my grandmother, who was from Kingston, Jamaica. And my grandmother is also mixed. She's part Jamaican and part Jewish. Then they had their five children... And my grandfather moved around the islands, obviously because he went from parish to parish, and that was his job. Mm-hmm. So many of the kids are born in different islands. My my father happens to be from Antigua, and so, so does my aunt Althea. But my uncle uh, Dean is from Trinidad Tobago, and so on and so forth. Uh, we have cousins that are from Barbados, and and they just moved around. So we, when I say West Indies, I I mean like the full. Scope of the West Indies. You've
0: touched every island almost, well, I, right? Almost, yeah. <laughs> and of course, for those who are not aware, there was a huge migration of Caribbean people to Canada in the '60s and '70s, and really many of them settled here in Toronto, like your family.
1: Mm-hmm. So they all came here, and uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, his family is from Ganawaga. His his mother was born there, and my uncle Paul was born there. His He's the only living member of the family from uh, my my grandfather's side. They're, you know, my my uncle Jean is still in, in Gunawage. My mother's, you know, cousins and my cousins are all there as well.
0: That's a reservation, a reserve, I guess people called it, uh, in the yeah. south shore of Montreal. Correct.
1: It is yes. It's very close to uh, Dorval. It's very close to Montreal. It's in fact where um, the Oka crisis was very was right there uh, over twenty years ago. Um, My my cousin Steffi was stank-bombed in a church, I remember that. Really? Yeah, and she would have been about 16, maybe 15 at the time. Crazy. And then my mom's mom, um, I don't know too, too much about her, but uh, I know that um, that particular family has roots in uh, Barbados as well, all over the place.
0: You've talked about this in other interviews, but in terms of getting a fuller understanding of your Indigenous culture, your grandfather really played a major role, a big influence for you.
1: Oh, yeah. My grandfather was, uh, you know, my best friend and uh, my, my mentor and uh, obviously my grandfather. <laughs> so he beat me up a bit, you know, here and there. And tough love was one of his, uh, his, his attributes, I'd say. When I got out there uh, for the first time, he had moved from the East Coast and settled in uh, a little place called Maple Ridge at the time, which is in British Columbia and uh, that's where he met my step-grandmother, and they stayed there ever since, and that's when I got to meet them. I remember him visiting, and and I was going to Gunawage from when I was a young child, and he would come to powwows, we'd meet there, and the family still does that, and he was very entrenched in his uh, indigenous upbringing. His grandfather certainly was also, it's funny how the world works and the universe works, but he had an incredibly close relationship with his very own grandfather, who was mohawk and only spoke mohawk and was a very tough individual as well obviously because of the time that we were living in or they were living in rather and um he bestowed whatever knowledge he had received from his grandfather and sort of i guess in in line because he never had any boys i guess and there's the, the weird sort of thing i mean the girls should have gotten it too and and my mom did my mom's been very influential in, in teaching me about my culture as well but um My grandfather was a huge influence on me and and a teacher and and a friend. And like I said, you know, all those things.
0: In terms of life, what would you say one of the lessons that you carried with you all these years? And also, how did some of the teachings that he shared with you seep into your music?
1: That's an interesting question. I mean, I think all of it's seeped into my music. And I think that the universal teaching of watching nature and learning from nature and being one and in tune with nature is probably the biggest lesson that i can take because as a young child you know i remember such a simple thing as this right we're going camping and stuff and he says to me you know you got to watch which way the birds go watch which way the trees go see what the animals eat because if they aren't eating it then you don't eat it kind of things like that just really simple basic stuff to tell you the truth at first when it comes to ceremonial teachings i'm still learning and still wanting to be entrenched in, in the community in that way but you know, rubbing sage to clear the ears and rubbing, rubbing sage to clear out your heart and your eyes and, and your voice. You know, the purification of, of all of that is very important. Uh, but certainly nature uh, and the oneness that we all share as as, as beings and those ancient teachings, are, it's, it's really hard to explain it because I don't think you can. You can't really teach it in a way. You can tell it and then you have to live it and experience it mm-hmm. and until it becomes a part of your entire uh, being.
0: I can relate with that. I'm learning still myself very early on in my journey of, of my allyship with Indigenous people and learning all the time. But one of the things that I always, you know, we talk about this oral history passed sure. down from generations and seven generations forward. But you talked about, you know, we just talked about oral traditions and, and you talked about strong oral tradition and cultures uh talking about both of your cultures you're talking one was stolen from their land and brought here and the other had their land stolen what a great quote and you say it's been an uphill battle ever since and the fight is far from over from your perspective where do you think we sit as a society as it relates to the past struggles right because i talk often with all kinds of people about truth and reconciliation and about an actual acknowledgement of the past truths. Mm. I- I'm interested in your perspective as to what happened in the past and how do you see the challenges that remain today? Well, I
1: think that we've come a long way because I'd, I'd like to uh, acknowledge that not the entire population wants to sink us. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of allies that are really rooting for marginalized people. That wasn't the way it was 50 years ago. I think that... Around 50 years ago, the tide started to change, and people started to see there was a, a massive injustice in the world, and we needed to change it. Now, from you know, being able to drink at the same water fountains and ride the same buses, we've come a long way. When it comes to the systemic sort of structure that have developed, I, don't, I think that we're starting to come in a long way and move forward, but we still have a long way to go. Interesting enough that when we have social media at our fingertips, it's everybody's got a camcorder now, uh, right in the palm of their hand. So now a lot of these things are a little bit more visible for people. I worry about our children uh, being exposed to such atrocities and violence and things like that. But at the same time, I'm horrified. But I'm, there's a there's a bittersweetness to the whole thing where it's like you know when you when you look at George Floyd, when you look at what happened in Kamloops and what continues to happen, I'm I'm really sad that now we're over ten thousand bodies found and not even you know, 100 more schools to go, it's going to be atrocious, but people aren't talking about it anymore.
0: It's interesting you say that because we've talked about this, but it took me a while to even watch the George Floyd video, but really was the tipping point to spark this global reckoning for people to shine a spotlight on something that was always there. Totally. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And of course, Indigenous people have been talking for decades and decades and decades that this stuff was happening in residential schools. Right. Right it's going to be interesting when uh pope francis comes to canada uh will be actually by the time this airs he would have already come but he's coming in july uh late july 2022 to canada and part of it is is uh there's a huge expectation for a more fulsome apology
1: i believe that they will get that i believe that the, the church will do that but i don't know how it's going to be received and and at this time it's like yeah show me the money right Cuba Gooden Jr., let's bring it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I think I think that it's going to bring back the spotlight on an important issue. I think there, there has to be still some concern that the focus will maybe fade away over time. Yeah, for sure. It's possible. I agree, too. I
1: mean, I hope it doesn't. But I hope that our children are also seeing that, you know, not all black people or indigenous people are good either. I mean, look at the Roe versus Roe thing. I mean, that Supreme Judge is not a good person.
0: Well, we talked about that, you and I, offline. It's just like, you know, uh I mean I'll say it, I think Clarence Thomas is one of the worst uh, Supreme Court yeah, justices that ever was. And and actually, you know, if he if he if he wasn't visibly black, I'd say he's a racist. <laughs> <laughs> you <know>? He is. <laughs> you he know? is. He's horrible.
1: But I'm just I'm just it's, saying that because you know what? And like as we as we fight through uh this whole, you know, this mess, it's like people are inherently good i believe you know and then there you have a whole bunch of people who just aren't and i don't think you can put a a color or anything on them they're they're just not good people and i think that, that this fight is for good people to try to to overcome you know and and one of the first ways to overcome that is like you said truth okay what's the truth the truth is you and i have not been afforded the same opportunities as other people because of our skin color truth truth is you and I and many other people have not been afforded other opportunities because of our heritage. The history is what it is. You can't change that. You know, residential schools did exist. Reservations do exist. Slavery did exist.
0: Exactly. And so yeah.
1: when you when you look at what's happened in history, the reality is, my grandfather used to always say, history was always written by it's always his story. Whoever won tells his story. And so now we're winning a little bit. That's the difference.
0: I'm with you. And, and to me, one of the, the most important things is the acknowledgement of the truth. And I think we're still working on that.
1: I think so too. I also think that the e- economics of the truth is very important as well.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think, Julian, it's the perfect place to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about our favorite thing, music. All right. Uh, and more specifically about your just released song, Seeds. come back after the break to take a listen and talk more with Julian. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. movie posters and cartoons
3: oh yeah can't forget cartoons
0: if you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together you'll dig two designers walk into a bar see we're a
3: couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and
0: dive bars hey you know the place the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies
3: so join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at two twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Welcome
0: back. I'm back with my friend, Julian Taylor, amazing singer-songwriter whose new album Beyond the Reservoir it drops this fall. Jillian, I have had some amazing times with you. Ditto. Yes, I've had time to sit in your man cave in, uh, up in your cottage and listen to you play acoustic guitar and sing some of your beautiful songs, some of them that you were still working on and... I saw the creative process as you're thinking about what I need to change. It's your baby you're creating, uh, yeah,
1: sure. <laughs> you know,
0: and I think last summer when I was at your place, you played me Seeds, just a beautiful song that was inspired by tragic news that shocked the world in 2021. And before we talk about it, why don't we have a little listen?
4: Now see you shine and strong and clear. No one can stop a good idea Nobody like you There's nobody like you I was a flower, I was an oak I was provoked and when I awoke I started grazing For all the things that I need They tried to bury us But they didn't we will see. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we will see. Somehow, everything eventually dreams. Someday, somehow, everyone eventually dreams. They knocked you down, erased your name. You stood your ground and wouldn't change. You found a place now, standing alongside the trees. They tried to bury us, but they didn't
0: know we were seeds. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. Wow, what a line. Thanks, man. Tell me what inspired this song and what it means.
1: Well, I mean, this this song is inspired by resilience. This song is inspired by hope. It is uh, a rather uh, tragic and sad song, but also at the same time a very inspiring and uplifting song. It was uh, a text that I got from uh, my cousin Ajika, and uh, she was just really upset about what had happened Uh, in Kamloops and certainly George Floyd and and the verdict there was okay but you know some other verdicts weren't and we've been watching the world fly towards impending doom in terms of you know race relations and and acceptance of people in this world and and what happened to their families and I just wanted to comment on what I thought about it. You've met me and we've we've hung out a, a lot and I'm not like a really aggressive person but I do have real firm stances on things.
0: I know that, yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is the way I wanted to say it. But I'm not, I'm not like, if I was in the 1960s civil rights movement, I probably would have marched with, with Dr. King and I wouldn't have probably been a Black Panther is all I'm saying. So
0: what did the text say?
1: It said they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. That's the line.
0: Amazing. It's so interesting where inspiration comes from.
1: It really is. I mean, thank you, Ajika.
0: Exactly. Your new album, Beyond the Reservoir, will be released this fall, featuring another song called Murder 13. Mm -hmm. A really personal song for you, as it tells the story of a very close friend who was murdered in Toronto in 2005, nearly two decades ago. Can you tell us a little bit more about that song and the story behind it?
1: Sure. I've lost a lot of friends along the way. Before I was 30 years old, I I wouldn't have been able to even count how many people I'd lost. Some through uh, tragic circumstances like murder and uh, my friend wasn't the only one that was murdered but in his circumstance it was a very hard thing to go through because they they never really were able to convict anybody who did it we got mixed up in a whole bunch of stuff when we were younger and and he was mixed up in it as well unfortunately and was trying to change his life and the very time that it's so ironic that when people want to change their lives how other circumstances and people I guess that the term of jealousy or fear or whatever grips other people and they don't let that happen for that person and that's a really sad circumstance you're with us or you're
0: against us kind of thing right horrible
1: i also want to comment on the fact that you know growing up in toronto being a colored person hasn't always been really safe you know I, i know that my parents would worry when i'd go out at night and other parents would worry and i was one of the luckier black boys to get out of it my friend in this particular song was not and there are a few others that are are not when i think about high school and before that and i did grow up in pretty predominantly white neighborhood but there were black kids there too and, and black boys but when i think about it i'm one of the only ones that's actually alive or not in
0: jail it's so crazy and and you know there's many parts to that one is lack of opportunity Lack of support, stereotype, stereotype, systemic disadvantage. I talk about that. We've talked about this, Julian, mm-hmm. about white advantage, right? And we—I gave the example of a, a black family with a young black boy who's 16 years old with a hoodie, heading out to see his friends at the park, and and we know from the data that he is 20 times more likely to either be harassed, arrested, or killed by the police, right? Yeah, that happened in our world, yeah. Yeah, and it's really crazy because I think it was just last month that the Toronto Police Service finally called the press conference to apologize for finally admitting that this was actually the case for decades and decades. And, of course, their apology was kind of a half apology based on the reaction of the black community. This is kind of what we're talking about, and and you lived it. I, I see it in Toronto here, and your friend was kind of caught up in, you know, lack of opportunity which led him to make bad choices right there's some co- there's some individual responsibility but the system and institutions that we have lead people to certain destinations
1: certainly and 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 the idea of what it, it means to be a black person or the idea of what it means to be an indigenous person for me uh just using stereotypes and not and and this is just from the outside world when you look at movies and film and stuff like that of movies like boys in the hood by john singleton where i mean i remember that scene with uh furious styles and trey styles as as they're driving l- around compton and he's like you see there's a liquor store in every corner when you think about the the wars against drugs and crack in the 1980s it was you know veered to another side of genocide so uh, it's not everybody's fault and like of course personal choice comes in, into hand i made personal choices that weren't you know favorable for my health and the the well-being of myself and others around me but i got lucky to have a family and i had music as well i mean a lot of the time i was actually at home or somewhere else playing music which kept me kind of out of
0: trouble well it's it's a super important thing that's that was your outlet right yeah well i think the song is beautiful uh i had a preview of course the song is called murder 13 and really it refers to the fact that you're close friend was the 13th murder in Toronto in 2005 so why don't we have a, a quick listen
3: and I've had excuse me i'm leaving I just don't feel like being here anymore it's yes, enough enough excuse me i'm leaving I just don't feel like middle school we all started dealing That's when I called you and I was in over my head Asked you to make a drop Think about it's all you said That's when I passed across and I'm glad they did Glad they did it's enough. Excuse me, I'm leaving. I just don't feel like being here anymore. It's enough. Excuse me, I'm leaving. I just don't feel like being here anymore. My name is Ellen I, was at 13.
0: I can tell you still feel it, eh? I can't wait for you to hear the album version. Look forward to it. It's very powerful. Julian, what do you think needs to happen in terms of making more room for black people, indigenous people, people of color in our society, and, and how do you see your music playing a role in that?
1: The space that we uh, need to try to occupy has to be one that is realistic and one that is uncompromised, one that is also respected and honoured. And I also feel that as the world sort of moves towards a different phase, what needs to further happen is I think that we need to further listen, learn, understand the truth, and decide what avenue we have to move forward. What I'd like to see happen is one day I'd like to see that the entire Earth become the color of the earth, and that way um, we won't have these lines being drawn in the sand. It will be impossible. In order to get there, I think that love is one of the uh, only ways that we can get there. So for people to listen and learn and to become allies and say, you know what, I understand your pain, I can see that it has done this, uh, and I got you, is is the way that we move
0: forward. Very powerful, I love it, I agree. Aside from your music, I know you're uh, very involved and we're talking about uh, Shine, the foundation that you founded and support that really supports emerging artists. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it's important?
1: I've been so fortunate to be able to do this uh, and make a career out of it. I know that um, music is a really tough thing to do. Certainly, uh, we lost a really good friend and my my pal, Bruce Adamson, who used to be in Steger Crossing, and his kids, you know, play music. And I wanted to do something to honor their dad and as well, at the same time, do something that uh, would help up-and-comers uh, get their your, their feet a little bit, you know, grounded and, and help them out financially as well as uh, with encouragement. Um, I feel like my music is... Done some wonderful things in in, or in ways to pave the way for other artists, whether they're black or indigenous or or or, or otherwise, you know, just independent and and and, and in love with music. Um, I've been managing my in, my career independently for over twenty years now, so um, that's pretty cool.
0: Amazing! I think the foundation's doing a great job. People, especially young people, need inspiration. They need support, and I think. Uh, shine's doing a great job and and thank you for that thank you now if you weren't busy enough right yeah been at uh julian's uh cottage and he has this old school jukebox which just i love (laughs) and and filled with some of my favorite music including some motown favorites but you've taken that concept and you actually have a radio show called julian taylor's jukebox on elmt 106.5 in toronto tell me about that show why you love doing it and what can people uh dial in to listen to
1: yeah sure it it happens uh it's syndicated all over uh, north america so we're actually we air in antigua we air in seattle we are in canada uh from coast to coast and uh, it's on element fm in toronto and ottawa as well they help uh flagship the show we've got some great national sponsors in long McQuaid and slate music who are serious supporters of the uh canadian industry the show is a bipoc focused show for the most part because i wanted to support artists like myself, who uh, may not have had the same exposure as I have had. And I certainly didn't have it this way when I was coming up, so I wanted to be a, a voice and a ally for those looking to get airplay and, and exposure and share their message. And so 70% of the music that I play is BIPOC music. And the other is, like you said, like it's like music from my, ju- my jukebox, or as if you were walking into my home. What would I play? Well, you might hear another one, Beats the Dust by Queen or fame by david bowie or yes you know you might hear uh cool in the gang just something <laughs> cool
0: right it's great to get the party going that's for sure yeah that's really great is. well hopefully people dial in we'll, we'll have some more information in all of my episodes i always like to end my conversations with asking my guests how they feel about the future and if they're hopeful for what's ahead for future generations we touched on that a little bit But uh, you and I have uh, now preteen daughters. What do you uh, see for their futures in this society? And do you think it's a better future in terms of uh, disadvantage, advantage? And you see that the incremental change that we're seeing today is going to be good for them.
1: I think that the incremental change that's happening now is going to be very good for them. Uh, At least that's my hope. I see that these uh, children that we raise, they're in a different sort of mindset than we were. Whereas... When I was growing up, and I mean, you can comment on this, I really could feel the difference, like the visible difference, the uh, ideology difference between people that I was hanging around with and myself, so much to the point where I really did sort of do uh, that Harry Potter sort of invisible cloak thing and pretend that I didn't have any of this in me. I couldn't hide the black, but I could hide the indigenous side of myself so no one would know you have no idea how what it feels like i mean some people do you do probably as well it's so funny to be in a room where people are being derogatory against one group of people and they don't they have no idea that you are that mm-hmm. group of people it's a very harmful and very hurtful thing but i was in a we were in an age where it was like better to shut up don't say anything you know uh they don't live in that age anymore
0: it's like the great john lewis said if you hear something or see something that's not right you have to do or say something
4: mhm mhm
0: it's going to be interesting, for example, for my daughter who looks white. Mm-hmm. What does she fill in on the, on the form? Yeah. Right? Jillian, this has been great. Thank you, my friend. Song Seeds is out now. It's streaming on Spotify, Apple, all your favorite music platforms. His new album, Beyond the Reservoir, drops this fall, so keep an ear out for that. You can listen to Julian Taylor's Jukebox radio show weekly on 106.5 FM, And check out his website at juliantaylormusic.com to find out about tour dates and more. And you can always visit our Evergreen website where we'll post all his links for his music. Thank you, Julian Taylor. Thank you. Great to see you, Stephen. See you soon. Talk to you soon. Hey, brother. Say hi to everyone for me, okay? I will. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Black and White. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, please be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and take the time to rate our show. Look out for Jillian Taylor's new album, Beyond the Reservoir, launching October 14th, featuring two of the songs that we listened to today, Seeds and Murder 13. It's an engaging and powerful album. You can find Jillian's new album on all streaming platforms or visit his website at jilliantaylormusic.ca. Black and White is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to my producer, sound designer and engineer, Noah Fouts, and our executive producer, David Allen Moss. A reminder that my book, Black and White, An Intimate Multicultural Perspective on White Advantage and the Path to Change, is available at your favorite bookstores across the US and Canada, and online at Amazon and Indigo Chapters. I'm Stephen Dorsey, reminding all of us that we can all be better, do better, so that eventually we can all live better together.